You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, you don't have to be a kid to enjoy playtime, but why do we do it? There's so many different emotions that can happen throughout any type of game. And Valentine's Day is typically about love, but it wasn't always. If I got it, it would not just ruin my Valentine's Day, it would ruin my whole next year. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast. Audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full-service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. So how often would you say you play? And what does that look like? Do you play video games, board games? Do you play sports to go to amusement parks? Or even do the daily wordle just for fun? My colleague Noelle Evans looked into play and found out a lot about how having fun may be the key to our health and well-being. She has this story. It's a Wednesday night. Bruce Blue and his family of five are at the bowling alley at Radio Social in Rochester. His nine-year-old twin daughters, Imani and Naomi, are having a good time. It's really fun. I like, like when I um, put on a lot of pins. I uh, enjoy family time. For Blue, moments like these are precious, and something that he and his wife have carved out time for in their busy schedules. It relieves stress uh, for that, you know, for that particular moment. It might not eliminate your stress, but just in that moment, you having fun playing, seeing your kids smile, seeing my family smile for me is, is enough. Playing games isn't just for kids. It's not even just for humans. Reptiles, mollusks, other mammals, and even insects have been found playing. The impulse to play uh, is, is so strong that it's been considered by scientists to be a biological drive. That's Jeremy Saucier. He's the editor of the American Journal of Play, an academic journal published by the Strong National Museum of Play. So there's a, a certain universalness to play and that drives particularly important for children and their developing brain. Uh, but, it's, but it's also important for adults as well. Remember how Blue Spruce said play relieves his stress? Well, that goes deep. Here's Dr. Anton Thorstenson. He's a geriatric neuropsychiatrist who studies Alzheimer's disease at the University of Rochester. We know that uh, stress is neurotoxic. It uh, increases certain uh, compounds uh, in, the, in the brain that basically can cause uh, accelerated nerve cell death. It isn't a cure-all, but playing and laughter can lower the level of the stress hormone cortisol in the body. According to the Mayo Clinic, laughter can also relax muscles, increase your intake of oxygen-rich air, and increase endorphins. And there's evidence that humans have organized game time for millennia. One of the oldest known board games is the Royal Game of Ur. According to the British Museum, it dates back to about 4,600 years ago in Mesopotamia. Back in another part of Radio Social, the age-old tradition continues. 
a wide array of board games is on display. At tables around the room, people are playing their game of choice, be it cooperative or competitive. Jacob Cornfield is the brains behind this new pop-up called Game Night Rochester. He says it's his way of building community while opening up opportunities for people to experience what games can offer. There's so many different emotions that can happen throughout any type of game, but they're all good. I'd say even when you are get playing a game that's frustrating, you are still having fun. How many eyes we got in here? For Gianluca D'Elia, <laughs> one emotion that gets stirred up is nostalgia. One of the games that they had out today on the board was Telestrations, and that's some of my fondest family memories right there, and definitely some of the, the deepest belly laughs I've had. It's a little difficult to explain, but basically it's a party game that involves doodling and interpretation, similar to the children's game of telephone. Delia says there are often comical surprises. You <laughs> start out with one word and it turns totally into something else, and somebody's like, okay, like, this started out as, like, kickball, and then somebody guesses, like, oh, I think this looks like a sea urchin, so it's just fun. Play can take on many forms. It can be used as a therapy for young children to process difficult experiences and emotions. Thorstensen says it can also show up in playing a sport, a musical instrument, dancing, or learning a new creative skill, no matter at what age. For Bruce Blue, it's a way of being. I don't think there's an age limit on having fun. Not me personally. I, others may think things are childish, but yeah, not me. I'll have fun to the day I drop. Yeah, for certain. Noelle Evans is a reporter for WXXI News. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. Monday is Valentine's Day, and many people will celebrate with a carefully selected card, or perhaps even a love letter, professing their undying devotion to the ones they adore. But that wasn't always the case. City Magazine editor David Andrietta takes us back to when Valentine's Day was a time for so-called vinegar valentines, anonymous letters telling the ones you hate to go to hell. Or that they're ugly. Or that they smell. That's awful. <laughs> it's like a cross between Cupid and like an internet troll or something. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good way to put it. So, so tell me what these things are. Well, the best way to describe them is as the anti-Valentine Valentine. And they, and they were crazy popular for about 100 years from the 1830s to the 1940s. They were printed on cheap pieces of paper that sold for anywhere from a penny to five cents. And they contained an illustration, usually some sort of hideous caricature of a person and an unflattering rhyme that was intended to insult the receiver. Okay, I got to hear an example. <laughs> okay, sure. So uh, this is one that dates to the 1940s. And it depicts a woman. I won't try to describe her. I don't know if I like where this is going. <laughs> okay, the rhyme goes like this. 
You've got more curves than a roller coaster. Your clothes fit like a glove. There's just one thing wrong, glamour puss. You've a face only a mother could love. <laughs> People actually sent these things. I, in droves! I, news accounts at the turn of the 20th century suggested these vinegar valentines accounted for about half of the valentines sold in the United States. Um, tell me about the name, Vinegar Valentine. Well, they actually went by a few names in their day. Poison darts, uh, hit em hards was another one. Uh, but most scholars of these things, and believe me, there are actually people who have studied these things, say the vinegar valentine label stuck because of the way they could sting their recipients. I want to read an, another one you have here. Valentine for an awful sales lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As you wait upon the women with disgust upon your face, the way you snap and bark at them, one would think you owned the place. I think she waited on me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. But how about this one? This was a Valentine for bald men. I mean, their, their, their transgression was apparently being bald. Your bright shining pate is seen at all shows and invariably down in the bald-headed rows where you make conspicuous by your tender care your true ardent love for that one lonesome hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sales ladies, bald men, no one was safe from these things. No, not really. My, my primary source for this story was the Strong National Museum of Play. The museum has scores of these depraved valentines in its collection, and they spare no one. Many of them were aimed at professions, like the sales lady, for instance, uh, grocers, uh, dentists, mechanics. But there were also simply mean-spirited ones that poked fun at women's appearances. I mean, what else is new? Uh, right, right. And others that needled men for their appearance, too, but mostly for falling out of line with social mores of the time. For instance, there were a few that harangued men as quote-unquote henpecked for tending to their children or other duties that were seen at the time to mostly fall to women. Here's Christopher Bench, the chief curator at The Strong. I think this was pretty bad. Some of these, if I got it, it would not just ruin my Valentine's Day, it would ruin my whole next year that this is what people thought of me. So people took this seriously. Chris talked about having his year ruined. They ruined more than years. They ruined lives. These vinegar valentines were linked to suicides, assaults, and murders in their day. Um, one of the more humorous stories I came across was reported in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle newspaper in February of 1880. And it told of a criminal court case involving two women, a Mrs. Kirchold and a Mrs. Crawford. Now, Mrs. Kirchold was on trial for allegedly assaulting Mrs. Crawford, whom she suspected of sending her to what the newspaper described as quote, highly offensive valentines that described her as, quote, a hypocrite, ill-natured, double-faced, and a sure recruit of the devil. <laughs> that last one's kind of funny. It, it is, I mean, to us. But so serious were these things taken at the time that the eagle went so far as to caution its readers to, quote, not degrade themselves by sending these coarse missives and wounding people in the dark. The, the newspaper called senders the most, quote, detestable elements of society. So, okay, so that story is from 1880. Yeah. That means it would take another 60 years for people to heed that advice of the Brooklyn <laughs> Eagle and stop sending these things in the 1940s. That's about right. Hey, what can I say? We're slow learners. And, and it took another 60 years for people to forget their history and begin slamming each other on the Internet. Right. <laughs> and if they had any guts, they'd, they'd do it in person. Seriously. 
Okay, so what does it say about me that I kind of want to bring these things back? <laughs> um, that you're a sure recruit of the devil. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, in that case, David Andrietta, happy Valentine's Day, you ill-natured hypocrite. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> David Andrietta is the editor of City Magazine. If you want to read more about Vinegar Valentines, you can read it on their website, rockcitynews.org. And that's it for Earshot. Subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed every Friday. And be sure to rate us and leave us a review so other people can find the pod. Find even more local news at our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.